Welcome to the Strength Culture Podcast. Welcome back, guys. Strength Culture Podcast. Today, I have Matt Watson. What's, ha- what's happening, Matt? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Great to be here. Thank you ever so much for having me on. I'm, uh, yeah, doing well. I've, uh, I just spent the morning filming demos for, for my new app. And um, if anyone has been through the, the trauma of it, of, of having to line up uh, an extensive number of movements to film, I, yeah, we're, we're in that boat together. Like it's, it's, it's a dark place. Like I, I try to be a coach and I try to be like, what's the, what's, you know, what do I need to get out of the way so that I can't be doing 20 movements and then go to this thing. Yeah. So I try to do that. It still didn't help. I, I've got like 20 more to film where I've just, and all of my movements were, were like dynamic plyos or like, yeah, it was landing and takeoff based movements. So oh yeah tomorrow i'm gonna regret it but hopefully you know the long-term thing you're like oh, i'm so glad i've got this bank of movements but you won't go back to it for like six months or a year yeah you just don't want to be like that again so yeah yeah like bulk bulk filming exercises is such it's such a like it's such a process it's such a process and it's yeah. so exhausting um yeah, yeah it, it's a lot unfortunately you probably don't edit all of yours you do you, you contract somebody to edit stuff for you um so i mean for these ones like i'm not these ones are like very small little snippet parts of the program so i'll just i'll just it's very much like one movement for one part of an exercise on the on the app so it's kind of i'm just uploading them in mass mass bulk so it's pretty easy in that sense so i'm doing that bit but the our main programs yeah we yeah we got got some help with that and my wife was was She's far more into media and um oh, good. and software stuff than I am. So yeah, yeah, it's uh it's an arduous process. But when you've got it, when you got the bank, it's yeah, so valuable. Yeah. Like I filmed I filmed three hundred plyometric movements for our programs. Um and I did it in June in Abu Dhabi and it was like it was like hundred and ten degrees um at like seven thirty in the morning and uh and my iPhone, I was filming all on like an iPhone 7 and it was like burning out every 20 minutes. It was like, phone's too hot. And I had it under an umbrella. So like I had to go back inside, cool down and then go back. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But when you know, when you're like, I want to get this done now, I can't wait for the cool weather to come in. So yeah. like that would have been months away. So yeah, it's worth it. Though. Just get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, th- those are the video that you're talking about the ones that are on your website programs right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did a pretty good. I mean, it, it looks like it was like seamlessly filmed. So you did a pretty good job of, you know. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's pretty good. So you know, yeah. I mean, awesome. you never know what you're gonna get. Like with with online programs these days, you just it's a you never really know what kind of quality you're gonna get, right? Like until you're in there, and then but your stuff is like really well done. So I, you know, I, I yeah, and we're we're now like now trying to up it again we're, we're going to an app making everything more right. smoother seamless you know having things in a calendar so you know it's wednesday cool here's my workout today um we're bringing like a few other options like um different splits so instead of just a two-day split we'll we'll offer a three and a four-day split which is quite nice so you've got like the same program but it's just configured in a way to to kind of help you with with a busy schedule um, or busy training program that you might have, because that that's been a massive learning curve for us. Um, I'd say, I mean, 
I knew it was to come when we first started our business um, with, with our ply programs, but it was kind of like, I wanted to get programs out and let's just get it rolling. But I knew that splitting things up was yeah. always going to be a big thing for for coaches and, and athletes that are coming to me. Like, like I don't have the the space in my program to be able to just do this really heavy hitting stuff and then be able to recover from it. Yeah. They, they don't have that like, I call it kind of like fatigue bank. Like I, there's no more fatigue I can fit into this like two day period. So you can give me like a little something and then in a couple of days time, I'll do a little bit more of it. And that's kind of, that's been a big growth in, in where we've been going with things. So yeah, I spent a long time trying to figure out those splits, how the same sort of program could be split, just well organized and how you can just go, cool, I can just pick that, have that right there in that session. Oh, that's, so. that's a good resource. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I definitely want to talk about that, but first I want to ask you, like, how did you get into the, we'll say niche, but how did you get into the niche of, of plyometrics? Like what's your background? How did you... How, like, how did you decide plyos was going to be your thing? So, so like playing sport as I as I grew up was was very much um, soccer or football in the UK, and it, as it is with all with all um, with all young lads, and that was literally it until I was like 16, 17. Um, and we we have a thing called sixth form college uh, in the UK. So we finish, uh, you know, we finish our version of high school or secondary school. Um, at 16 and then we go to what's called a sixth form college between the ages of 16 and, and 19 so it's kind of like the last two years of your high school and then yeah. we we take exams and we go to go to college or go to university and um and in those in those sixth form years when i was 16 17 i met a few different guys from different schools so we'd all kind of come in from different areas and we come to this bigger college and um and i met a few basketball players they were they were saying to me oh can you you know i was six three as a 16 17 year old can you can you play? I was like, no. Can you dunk a basketball? I have no idea. And I dunked a basketball. They gave me a ball and I dunked a basketball because we were stood on a court and they were like, oh, you should come and play. And I'm like, well, I think it takes a little bit more than just being able to throw a ball in a hoop. Anyway, I ended up playing a bit of basketball, realized that yes, it does take a significant amount of skill and years of practice to get good at that. But I remained an athlete without realizing that I had a little bit of athleticism in me. Playing football, I just I was just who I was sort of thing. Yeah. I was an average kind of player. I wasn't necessarily like a standout athletic person, but um, yeah, basketball made me realize that I could jump well. Um, and I think it's because when you're six three and you play soccer, like you're just a tall guy, so they're like, "Oh, you're tall, so that's why you win headers." Or like, do you know what I mean? It's not. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Comparatively, against other taller guys, we're tall in basketball. Six foot three is a short guy, but you know what I mean. Like, it's such yeah. a general pop. Um, so I was around other guys my height and higher. And I'm jumping higher than than almost everyone on my team. So they were like, "Oh, okay, you are pretty athletic." So that led me into track. I met my my mentor, um, who was my coach um, for seven or eight years, but has been my mentor for twelve, thirteen years. And he he was that standout person for plyometrics for me. He really just showed me what they were. And because of where we were in the UK, there was just a lack of facilities for us to high jump through the winter months. So if you know if you know the UK, as of October, you've probably got pretty pretty poor weather from then until like March. So you don't high jump in the rain, basically. And you don't high jump in the rain when it's like, you know, 40 degrees. So it just doesn't go down. So we had to do pliers. We we used to go to a basketball court and we would we would jump. That would be our thing. And we would do 
hundreds of different variations of movements and he experienced the same sort of um thing when he was coming up as an athlete um living in toronto in canada didn't have the facilities to high jump so we yeah. he jumped a lot did a lot of pliers he had a coach um who was a hungarian guy who who had learned a lot from the eastern bloc um and from the russians and what they brought forward and yeah it just kind of it's just something that i very much i found myself i found that i was pretty good at it and that's that's always been a big thing for me if i'm good at something i love it if i if i'm not good at something i'm i, I don't care i don't care for it like i'm not going there that's probably yeah. a, <laughs> i don't know it's a poor trait in certain instances but like when i do love something or i'm pretty good at something then i really really push on it and i found that that was massive with biometrics i was like you know i was getting the feedback that i was really starting to develop and and from that i was just getting these sensations that just you know continue to feed through me today if i hit a good takeoff i'm like oh i felt that sensationally yeah. and, and the feedback that you get through your body when you hit something well is like oh that felt that was something special in that and i'd not got it from lifting weights i'd not really got it from from playing sport just and maybe it was a period of time where I, I hadn't felt it maybe for the first year that I'd done it and then it just started to click and I was like this is different and I can feel that electricity in my body that you know when I hit the ground I can just propel into the air again and be really reflexive with it so you know we carried on and, and I developed um into a reasonable um kind of a low level international high jumper um but was really limited because I wasn't able to high jump for six months of the year yeah um so, you know, it's one of those. Imagine you're a basketball player and you couldn't play basketball for six months. You, you're not going to get very far with that. Right? Yeah, so. I mean, it's, especially the way I think the landscape of sports has changed, whereas like it's basically year round now, right? Like maybe when I was growing up, there were se seasons, I guess, and like some athletes, yeah. instead of just playing their sport year round, they would dabble in other sports in the off season just to like maintain mm -hmm. some sort of like athleticism, even if they weren't good at it. Like, I was a baseball player, but I would, I was able to train most of the year, basically, except for winter, yeah. but I played basketball in the winter. You know, I wasn't like, I was average. I wasn't particularly good at it. I wasn't particularly bad at it. I was just average, but I just did it. Just have something to do in the winter. But I think now, like, especially since I'm in Florida, like everyone here trains year round or people come here because they can train year round. And there's definitely yeah. like an edge to, I mean, if you look like California, Texas, florida or like the big states in the u.s where like most of the four and five star recruits come from is just because they can probably just train year-round right so they're getting so much more repetition than everyone else um whereas if you're from like the northeast and it's the winter time like unless you have a massively well-built indoor facilities or something like you, you can't really train right so yep. or or just yep. or you just don't have some of the unique benefits that other people would have right you have yep. to you have to do you know find a gym and just do plyos, which I'm sure, which can get you farther than doing nothing, of course. But um, yeah, yeah. when it comes down to just like skill repetition sports, just, you're just going to have an edge, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, and I guess it's probably also just why, like, it always seems to be like um, a lot of these like freak athletes, they always come sort of from places where, where they just can it seems that they just, you know, Jamaica, it's like, Hey, I mean, sprinters, like they yeah. can literally train year round. They don't have to worry about yeah. it being winter time. You know what I mean? They can train all the way, all year round. And, Absolutely. um, you know, I don't know how it is. And like, I'm sure parts of like Spain and Italy, there's like definitely parts where you could probably train year round, but I guess now, like, 
it seems like even in Europe, what a lot of guys tend to go now to like Abu Dhabi and, and places like that to be able to kind of have a year round. Like Abu Dhabi has such a huge, like I feel like fitness and sports culture and then all the money in the in the sort of the the Middle East now, it seems like they're it's just attracting. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. It I mean, even even really in the last five years, that has it's growing exponentially. And like the I mean, the price to just get out to a place like that, it really isn't that crazy. Right. So it's it's very well situated for that. And you, you know, you see you see like Olympic organizations. So like the the track and field community um in the UK, if you're part of British athletics, then in January they all they all head out to South Africa. Um or they go to Dubai. Yeah. So, you know, they're it's that kind of that winter bird kind of vibe where it's like mm, the winter weather's here. We're going to get out and and get a touch of that sun so we can we can do what we need to to do in, to you know best prepare us for that. And you know you see you see big big groups of athletes that that do like a warm weather training thing before the main part of the season starts, and that might happen kind of m- March to the end of April um, for the track and field community. And yeah, I did it. I went down to Portugal, southern tip of Portugal. I've known people that have gone to they go to Florida, they might go to California, but yeah. you know, you can get to Europe so easy. So a couple of hours and you can get some sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I probably before we dive into this, and this we'll see how simple of a question this is, because I think that one of the things that I've learned and like I, what I want you to understand, what I want people to understand is like I've been in training. Like just, we'll just generalize training because I've been in all facets of training from, you know, rehab, group training, group fitness, personal training, general pop, athletic training, like all of the whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I've sort of learned is that there is sort of a misconception about what plyometrics actually are and what they are not. Because, you know, I've, I've seen some of your content and, and you know, other people in our network, like like David or Angus or Chris guys that have kind of, you know, either they follow sort of your programming and your structure. Um, and even when I did your course, you, one of the first kind of points was like, what is a plyometric? And, and, and here's what you probably think is a plyometric. And here's like why we can't necessarily define that. So maybe for those listening in the easiest way possible without all the very good graphs and the things that you have, which obviously (laughs) everyone like, We'll know by the end of this if they want more information where to go. But for the sake of the conversation, what what is a plyometric, and and like what is what is not a plyometric in the eye, in your eyes, and then just in in the science. So the the simplest way that I look at it now is a movement that has a a landing and a takeoff component to the sequence. So you may be airborne. So you may have taken off, you may be running. If you take off and you are airborne, you are then going to hit the ground because of gravity. And then if you are able to organize your body to then be able to take off, that is a plyometric action. And to kind of pinpoint it even further, it would be able it would be to be able to do that in a very short frame of time. And what that tends to, it keeps us in a kind of zone of where you would see things being greater in terms of how much contribution of a, of a tendon you would get 
as opposed to more muscular effort in order to um, achieve a, a certain distance or displacement of your body. So yeah, if you land and take off and you do it pretty fast, it normally means that your body has been able to use reflexive components from the tendons, from parts of the tissue. Obviously, you're going to use muscles in, in that sense as well. But usually, it should pop you off the floor and traject you back into the air. And ultimately, us humans are inherently built to move all the time in plyometric actions. We are landing and taking off all the time. If we were to kind of we were kind of sh to shape down into what our ancestors would have looked like. We would have been long, lean animals, and we would have used a lot more tendon than we would have used muscular-based effort. Because muscular-based effort tends to use a lot of energy, um, whereas reflexive capacities of the tendon, obviously there is a, a lasting energy effect to that. But locomotion is about smooth, graceful movement. We don't want to. We don't want to spend too long at the bottom of a movement. We're just not inherently built to want to do that. Obviously, certain you know certain groups of us are maybe a bit more structured to do that. Others definitely aren't. But if we were to kind of look at us in general, we like to be able to locomote. You know, if we were to run through a forest, if we were to take a little jump over a, a small stream, it would be small. Or sorry, it would be a fast landing and takeoff base actions where we can kind of continue to propel our body along. So that's kind of how I look at plyometrics now. Um, and it's confusing. It is confusing for people. I think 99% of the industry just completely get it wrong anyway. They, they just see any form of jumping as a form of plyometric. So if you have left the ground and you've tried to jump for height or distance, whatever it might be, people say, oh, that's plyometric. I think making sure that you have the landing component there before anything else happens probably keeps it pretty plyometric. Um, so, but those of you that have read Verkashansky and say, well, you know, there are components to it where maybe things aren't as fast as what might be deemed plyometric in Verkashansky's work. I think that a dividing line of making sure that it's fast and making sure that there's a landing and takeoff component saying these are plyometric actions. There are other things that we can stimulate the body with um, and they could be more muscular driven. Um, they could be just about the landing component. So if you were to drop from a height and then try and stick a movement, you know, some certain people might deem that as a plyometric form of movement. I'd say keep that aside and focus on the landing and takeoff component. Keep it fast. Even even the the deep tier that I use in in my systems, it's kind of brought together with the other three tiers in a plyometric system. But it's not plyometric because it's a lot deeper in range, a lot longer in time, and therefore more muscular driven. Yeah, that was. Um, I've really been liking the deep tier stuff. I know it's like everyone's liking it right now. It's going around, um, yeah. especially for. I mean, really, I mean, obviously, and this is something we'll probably talk about a bit too. Anyone could use it. Anyone probably should use it. Um, but particularly for me, you know, with the clients in my gym, it's kind of a, I kind of have a spectrum, right? I have people that are here just to get strong. People here just to get big. People here that are athletes and they play sports. 
So particularly like a lot of the deep stuff I really like for my athletes as their metabolic work instead of additional, just like barbell or dumbbell stuff. Right. So like, instead of, Oh, okay. Now you're going to do four sets of Bulgarian split squats. I'm not, I'd rather you have, you know, rather than do like alternating leaps and stuff and things like that now as they're like metabolic yeah. work. Um, yeah. Love it. Then, then just do like the dumbbell, more, more dumbbell and more barbell more stuff. More accessory sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and that's what I've been using myself and I've been loving it too. So, um, but I mean, I guess even for the deep tier stuff, there just has, there has to be some, there still has to be benefits tendon wise, right? For like the ankles yeah. and because the, the, just the, the amount of force and impact from the from the landing even though it may be a little bit the ground contact time is obviously longer and it's yeah, a bit so the, slower and deeper but yeah so the the tendon involvement in terms of output and performance might be lower but the exposure the tendon has to the load is yeah. i think is great for tendon health yeah so it, the tendon's not snapping back and giving you energy but it is under stress for sure and i think that there are so what's really nice about it is it's vastly different to say an isometric um sort of movement for tendon health because you're working through a range you're working in different amplitudes you might be you might be sticking in a small range and moving in and out of that and i think i think the tendon likes to have broad like a broad variety of uh, of exposure to force and it's it's obvious when you you know, you might work with a track guy. They're a sprinter. They live in such tall positions all the time when they move. The tendon is very, very stiff. Yeah. You know, in terms of how it gets pulled, it's probably really short, but it snaps back really fast. As soon as they do something where, like, God forbid, they went and played another sport or they, you know, just day to day life, they're like, oh, you know what? My knees are cranky at the moment. And it's like yeah. having a little taste of something else. It's what I call, I, I use the phrase flipping the mechanism, flip the mechanism of what your tendon is training or is, yeah, it's trained to be done all the time. Have a little bit of a dose of something else and, and see how that helps the tendon. Um, and I think it's, it seems to be my like, yeah, it's the thing that I fall back on a lot when it comes to tendon health, having a little dose of it regularly throughout the week is just brilliant it's just yeah. yeah so valuable yeah i've i've been liking them a lot and just the pump is also like oh, yeah. it's yeah. it's 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 bar none and i like how it it's kind of just self-regulates or like auto they auto regulate themselves like in terms of the intensity and stuff like it's yeah it's um like you can have almost anybody do them and they're going to do them at the level that they can do them at and it's yeah. going to basically self-regulate itself based on like how intense they can do it and how, you know, cause like obviously the higher you can leap, the more you have a force you have to sort of yield to like landing and, and vice versa. So it's like, I just find them to be, yeah, they worked really great in a team setting too, because, oh yeah, because you do have 30 people of all different skill levels, backgrounds. And it's like, you know, it's just one of those things where everyone can just kind of auto-regulate itself, you know, whereas like in the weight room, it's like, okay, maybe not everyone's going to be able to back squat or not everyone's going to be able to front squat. So then you're having to figure out all these different variations based on like mobility and strength and just like competency. Have they ever actually even done them before? Whereas I felt like those, especially yeah. the deep yielding plows, it's like something that's 
actually relatively easy to just get everyone into and 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 it just kind of regulates itself which i thought was like fantastic for for yeah. large groups yeah i think we do you know we, i think certain groups of coaches are really they look down at athletes in a certain way as if to be like oh they they're not in control of how they can do certain things and i'm like i think you'll actually find that once someone finds rhythm they find that like real comfortable state so like yeah. using like deep yielded movement is fantastic for that because realistically that's exactly what we're looking for yeah. so they find like you said this auto regulatory kind of rhythm to it and you're yeah. like cool now we start to groove that and then you can start to really pump like you say you can do some high reps of it get some great blood flow and pump into that you know whether it's whether it's anterior knee whatever it might be um and like you say it's so good in a in a larger group of athletes um because it's just so much more difficult when you're trying to every kid has a different weight in their hands every you know it's like you say different variations and variety and i'm like damn we could do one movement they can all do it at the same time and this section can literally be three minutes long yeah and we've got in we've done 50 60 landings in a deeper yeah. position it's absolute gold like yeah. there's so much to be gained from it yeah absolutely i i, I also noticed um particularly with my football team, which is also, which is a very interesting sort of group to look at this stuff through because football is one of those sports where like, no matter your body type, there's probably a position for you to play. So like when you have a team of 50 guys, you just have all different kinds of bodies and skill levels yeah. and things like that. And there were basically like three categories that I kind of saw going or that I even just still see going through plyometrics with them. And one of them is, pretty obvious one which is you're going to have like big strong guys that are very very good and very strong in the weight room um but they're they're just not bouncy right like everyone can yeah. probably, i say bouncy because a lot of people can probably picture what that looks like right they just they're very slow off the ground um they're very muscular driven um so very strong but just like not not really that bouncy right and then on the other end of that spectrum you have really fast, bouncy, twitchy guys that are very good at getting off of the ground fast. But one of the things that I noticed is it's, it's very overcoming in nature. Like they're actually usually not very good at yielding. Um, so there are a lot of them are on their toes. But then again, a lot of people have been taught like when to do, and this is something that we'll probably go into, but when to do plyometrics, like what I've realized is a lot of people have basically been taught to stay on their toes, like that they're, yeah. You know, so we, that's probably a conversation in of itself. Um, and then there's like kind of a group in the middle where it's like they're not really that strong, but they're also not really that bouncy either. Um, yeah. But the rhythm component, I think, is the thing that I realized is that it just takes a little bit of uh, exposure. And then especially because we were training them on a basketball court, and a basketball court's a very easy place to like hear the sounds, right? Yeah. And so you could kind of tell in the beginning of like when they're, they're starting to do the plyos, how just like th there's this audible sound of like, Ooh, it just doesn't sound good. Like one yeah. leg hits faster or one leg stays on the ground. Like there is, there's just, there's this rhythm component that's not there. Um, and then even just through the session and through the weeks, that sound changed and everything became much more rhythmic. And that's what I, you know, I know you've talked a lot about hearing, plyometrics yeah. and that was one of the big things that i kind of realized I, I i don't think 
people actually really talk about rhythm enough, not only just in plyometrics, but even in the weight room, because like weightlifters will talk about rhythm a lot and like timing the bounce and understanding that there's like a certain cadence and certain rhythm that you want when you're doing your reps. And so like, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting conversation, but it's also one of those things that I notice that like a lot of people don't have it. And then as they get better, you, you can not only see it, but you can also hear it, you know, the, yeah. the rhythm. Yeah. Out. I had, I had that conversation, um, on the weekend at a seminar that I was delivering in, um, yeah, I was asked the question of how much of this is, is auditory. How, how much of the rhythm can you gauge from, you know, your ears and stuff. And I said, realistically i think you want to get yourself to a stage as a coach where you can close your eyes or turn away and miss a few reps and know that the athlete has hit them well um and and just understanding that your your feedback from the athlete so what you are receiving in terms of your senses is very much it's there's yeah there's a larger environment that you're picking up on whether it's through your eyes whether it's through you know depth of perception whether it's through your ears and if you were to take a couple of those components away are you still able to coach so can you still coach without your ears there can you still coach if you don't if you shut your eyes um and i get that question a lot like how do, how do i improve my coach's eye and i'm like well i also want you to improve your coach's ear and how they work in tandem together. Um, so the the rhythm component is very much, you know, we talk about rhythm and we use that phrase in sport and that inherently comes from music. So you ever get athletes, the reason why they want to lift in the gym to music is not just because it's yeah. the music that they like, but our body find our bodies find rhythm in that sense. So yeah, it's uh, it's so so important when it comes to dynamic movement because you just can't hide when you spend such a small amount of time on the floor. It, you don't have time to adjust that rhythm or adjust the smooth transition of you know when you're flexing more and when you're extending more, whatever that might be. So, yeah, I just don't think enough people understand how to describe what things they would use to improve rhythm, like you said, and I said to everyone. They're like, oh, my rhythm's all off. Like, what should I be doing? What cues should I be using? I'm like, realistically, at this point, you've done six weeks of plyos. Do another twelve and come back to me. Yeah. Like, they don't want to. They don't want you to tell them that. But it's ultimately it's exposure. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that's gonna like is hard for it's it's hard for, it's hard for all of it, especially like when you come from a weight room and like yeah. where things seem so seemingly objective because you're adding weight or you're adding reps. Or you're at it's like it, there's a I think that's why people just are so gravitated towards that because it's a very safe, conservative, like I'm making progress or I'm not kind of thing where I think yeah. for sure, and I'll speak for myself, but I, I think I'll just speak for the industry as a whole. I think that's probably one of the more intimidating things about plyometrics is it's like, it's, there is some, like you can't, it's not just as simple as like adding two and a half pounds or adding five pounds. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so many different components that, it's like, it is one of those things where, it, and, and I'm very much a person who believes in, in like self-organization and just exposure to skill is the ultimate teacher of skill, right? Like try not to overanalyze, like shit's just not going to be that pretty when you start doing something. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like even in strength and conditioning, I hate when like somebody's new to squat, something as simple as squatting and like coaches just over cue the shit out of people. And they're like, do this and do that. And it's like, it gives so many things for people to think about that they can't yeah. even, they just freeze up and they can't even just 
squat because it's it's just like just get some like obviously keep them safe if that's a like a legitimate concern but just also understand that things probably just aren't going to be that pretty at first until people just yeah. get used to it you know what i mean yeah. and so it's it's a hard thing to i, I mean think. and and going back to some of your points on having guys that come in that are very like overcoming in in an essence and then and then you know you're using maybe using the deep tier to get them into enjoying that yield a bit more yeah and i think that is ultimately like exposure to a new stimulus anyway is you're going to get people that are going to come in and they are in flight they're in fight mode all the time so they they're like these new movements and new skills that they're they're being exposed to are probably met with a very overcoming strategy to it so even if you put them in a deeper yielding form of movement they're probably going to be overcoming quite heavily doing that so they'll freeze around the torso so if you were doing like a almost like a squat jump variation i i teach a little bit of butt wink that shows to me when they drop down into that squat jump that actually they are yielding at their pelvis yeah we're getting some of that so over time if that then is a component that comes in that ultimately that's that's where i think the real value in it, it is in it so even with an overcoming form of plyometrics so something that you want to be stiff there still has to be a tiny yielding element to it it's just knowing when and how to time that well yeah so if you come in and everything is frozen up you you can never allow really the tendon to do what it needs to do because it's not you're not giving it space or time to relax and contract yeah those are the correlations that I've seen in my own like space and like my own bias is that a lot of those guys that are very springy and overcoming, they just simply can't hit depth in in lifts, right? Like their range of motion is typically pretty poor as a result because mm-hmm. they they can't yield at the joints. So they're just very stiff no matter what. Like they're yeah. the guys that if even in a front squat, they can only squat to parallel in a front squat, which is like most anybody yeah. with some yielding capacity, you put them in a front load, most people can squat deeper. But like yeah. these guys, like they can still only go to parallel, like in a front squat, which is it's, and and usually those are the ones that I've seen when they're doing their plyos, they're on their toes, and it's like if yeah. you were to if you were to close your eyes and just listen, you almost can't you can't you almost can't hear anything. It's like they land yeah. like like cats. It's just like yeah, there's no yeah. there's no slapping that you kind of hear, um, yeah. and then your your heel heavy guys, like guys that I think are very yielding and muscle driven, you hear this like thump 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 thump, like it's like almost yeah. two because it's. He'll slap first and then they'll slap the their midfoot or like the ball of their foot. Honestly, I would say they probably don't even get their midfoot. They probably just go from heel to toe instead yeah. of like actually yeah. getting onto the midfoot. And so yeah. and they're very just I can almost hear it just not hearing it. It's this very just heavy, yeah. delayed Thug. kind of stud. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not this like snap, 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 you know. So it's um yeah. it's interesting just sort of seeing the correlations between their ability to move in a weight room and also just move not in a weight room, like plyometric in a plyometric yeah. sense. So, um, but like you said, it's simple exposure over time. It, it, it tends to correct. And what I realize is you have to almost give people permission to relax because you're right. Like people just get so stiff through their torso. But again, I think a lot of it too, is they've just been taught that like, it's like, yeah. you know, very robotic movement and very stiff versus like allowing this sort of like fluid, relaxed kind of motion to to occur because and i think that's actually i want you to talk about this because i think that there's misconceptions when it comes to stiffness and i know this is something that you've addressed recently because 
I think the thing that people have a hard time comprehending is when it comes to movement, movement is is three-dimensional, but like if we mm. actually take the consideration of of time, you know, we kind of get very Albert yeah. Einstein with this, like it's actually sort of four-dimensional, right? Because when we talk about certain qualities that we want to see, not only oh, do we have to talk about the, the movement itself, but we have to talk about when, right? Because you know, maybe you can go into into detail and in, in your perspective on that because I think stiffness is certainly like, like even even guys in the weight room be like, oh, I can't squat full depth because I'll like lose my stiffness, right? Or like mm. like they literally will cut their their depth and stuff to to stay more stiff. But maybe you can go into sort of your idea behind stiffness and sort of the misconceptions of, of stiffness yeah. and how it relates because I think it's it's a concept that's not only just misunderstood, it's incredibly bastardized in a sense. Yeah. the I actually had a conversation with um, with my friend Brandon Accardi about this, and we were talking about how, yeah, how the, the bracing effect of the, you know, having this constant brace. And I said, you know, he's an Olympic weightlifting coach, and I said, you've got to look at it in this analogy that if you as you know the sum of your body is the same as as you know something else that you might throw onto the ground so if you are constantly braced and you expect then to get some reflex or you know something that's going to give you something back out of the bottom of a movement whether it's a you know full depth squat or you're catching a clean or you're doing plyometrics we hope in our bodies that it gives us something reflexively back. We don't want to get to the bottom of it and then think, right, now we've got to do a job to get out of here. So if your body is completely braced in a way, you're kind of treating it as if it's like a rock. So you're going to take this rock and you're going to throw it on the ground and hope that it bounces back up. But ultimately, our body is built you know, of tissue that is very flexible. And if we're pulling on that tissue really hard or we're you know whatever we are really contracting around certain major parts of the joint that when we get to that point where we want a little bit of reset reflex back it's not going to give us that so and i i spoke to him about this in saying that you know if you if you put a new weight or you put a new pr on on the bar or something like that you're going to front squat or back squat um the the first thing that you'll go to is is an overcoming strategy. It's thinking there's more weight on here. Obviously, there needs to be a, a relative brace in your body when you're going to come into contact with that bar. But you also probably better being able to control and yield it into a position so that you yeah. can get back out of it. Yeah, so I, it's I um, and I know I'll probably get crucified for this, but I I think bracing, <laughs> I think bracing, even in the strength and conditioning world, is so overdone. It's not even mm. funny. Like I, I agree in the sense that like the second you put that bar on your back, you're going to brace reflexively and relative to that load, right? Like yeah. even yeah. in backs, even in squatting and deadlifting, I don't teach people to squeeze even harder and tighter. Um, no, no. Which, but that's what a lot of people are taught. Like you just have to squeeze your abs as hard as you can, the whole entire, it's like, you're going to brace relative to the amount of force going through the body like the body's not stupid it, it will yeah. it will reflexively brace accordingly um and yeah. it will allow your movement to to look more athletic and a little bit more fluid than 
just like this big because obviously like strength training relative to plyometrics is very slow um but what i found is like when people just over squeeze or over brace it just slows it down almost too there's too much tension which seems like probably blasphemy to a lot of like old head strength conditioning coaches but like just squeezing everything all the time even even when it comes to bracing for 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 compound lifts i i really believe it's it's also it's very much over taught and and i even hear like coaches when their athletes are running or or doing think they tell them to brace their core which is like the most asinine thing to me but you hear it It, definitely you hear it you you could look at it like an analogy of like someone's gone to space right and then they come back down to earth the likelihood that you'd ever think right i'm coming back down to earth gravity is about to turn on and i'm going to Brace everything ready to handle that. It, it's just not going to happen. Your body's yeah. going to go. Oh, okay. Now I'm, it's, yeah. it's going to start registering, right? Yeah. And it's, it's like you say, you unrack two hundred pounds off of a bar. Your body will go. Okay. Obviously, when you're adding new weight and stuff like that that you've never done before, but still inherently, your body goes. Oh yeah. By the way, you still need to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's exactly when you walk around with gravity upon you, right? It's the same thing. I stand up. My body knows what to do. So when it comes to plyometrics, it is very much a case that we want states of relaxation to allow for very high levels of bracing, but in a very short periods of time. Yeah. So those levels of bracing are done. Those high levels of bracing is done subconsciously in preparation just before you hit the ground so it's not a conscious effort to brace it becomes a subconscious skill obviously when you first start to do it you know that you're going to start to teach the the legs how to attack the floor a little bit when you've done a few months of it you're getting someone to be like okay i I want you to attack the floor a little bit here like give it some that then becomes a subconscious pattern it yeah. becomes maybe the intent of what you've been given with the exercise. So if it's bounding for distance or you're going for height, whatever it might be, the body is has already learned that. And it prepares in a way that it braces certain components of the lower limb because you don't want certain parts of it to be turned on and braced because they need to be relaxed so that they can turn on when they're exposed to load. And that's the worst part about a, a conscious brace is that the likelihood is that you will co-contract every square inch of your, you know, pelvis, whatever it might be. Yeah. Whereas in subconscious skills, there is a far more. I think that it's there's a more intuition in in terms of what needs to be turned on at what time and and the specifics behind that. The body is far more. I call it the body as if it's like another component to us, but it, it is really the subconscious mind is something that's far more intelligent than the conscious mind is in terms of how we move. Yeah. So that has to do a job to prepare for the ground. And then it has to be able to flick on and off very quickly. Yeah. I mean, and, and even like, uh, if you just think about how certain, well, I would say probably almost all athletic movements, like when you're actually playing a sport, they happen so quick that oh, yeah. it the the like the nervous system doesn't even like it doesn't register to the brain like it doesn't even travel that far so like i think it goes somewhere to like you know thoracic spine area of the spinal cord yeah. or something so the movements yeah. don't even travel to your brain so it's like 
trying to think about how you should be doing something and those kind of movements almost is like it yeah just doesn't even make sense because once you actually go to do it like it it, it doesn't even travel that far so if yeah. you're thinking about it you're already too slow it's too slow yeah i think i i think i got or i'd read some research to say that it, in terms of the speed for the brain to say all the foot's telling you to do something and then the foot will then send that signal back i think that in itself takes something like 0 0.045 of a second yeah. and a sprint stride is about twice as long as that <laughs> the whole time of on the ground of a sprint stride so there's no way that your body goes yeah. oh by the way we're sprinting and can you do this 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 and this and you're yeah. like oh yeah we've we've already left the ground again so like <laughs> you know there, there are subconscious ways in which you know the does it travel just to the pelvis does it travel yeah it's yeah, yeah it's such a reflexive yeah. component to what we do yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And then when you get into like, which we still don't really know much about, but when you get into the, some of this, the, the research and science is coming out on fascia and how like fascia, like the, how fast information and travels through the like your fascial chain, and there's like yeah. there's all kinds of stuff coming out about like it's so much faster than that. I mean, the body is just so fascinating. And, and to be honest, there's there's things we know, but there's still a lot we don't really know. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to like really reflexive things. Um, yeah. So when it when it comes to plyometrics, one of the things that I kind of want to get into um, is foot contacts, and I know that this is like a big point of contention across almost anything that would be considered plyometric, right? Like if you look at long distance running. You get people that you should be on your toes. You should be on your midfoot. You should heel, you know, heel striking is bad or heel striking is fine. And sprinting is like, you should be on your toes. And it's like, well, actually, if we slow down sprinting, maybe some people will be on their toes. Some people get healed. Like there's just so much contention in terms of foot contacts across sprinting, jumping, running longer distances and stuff like that. But I think that your course did a very good job of sorting of sort of adding some nuance to foot contacts, but maybe you can go into detail like ab about that. And then, you know, what, what do people get wrong when it comes to, to foot contacts as well? Um, you know, I know Angus just posted a, a post about horizontal um, yeah. stuff and, and maybe wanting a little bit more heel contact, whereas in, in, in vertical, you're not going to get that as much. So, there's obviously nuance in the discussion and I know it's something mm. that you definitely talk about and you also make differentiations between, um, your different, uh, categories of, yeah. of, uh, plyometrics. So maybe you can go into detail about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, as per usual, the jumps world dominates in terms of telling everyone how things should go down. <laughs> but do you know what re is really stand out is that the long jump, triple jump and high jump are very standardized in terms of how you put your foot down. So the movements with the highest levels of force and the reason as to how our body organizes to do it well. Like I honestly, there might have been one one time where I've been around someone or I've coached someone that I've needed to coach the foot contact. And 90% of the time, 95% of the time, Everyone is going to come in and they are going to land in a four foot position and they're going to take off. Their whole foot is going to almost come down together and contact the floor. You'll see it in high jump. There is one world-class high jumper 
that has done it off of their forefoot. And they won the Olympics in uh, in Tokyo in 2021. Uh, no, in Rio. And they've not spent much time high jumping since then. Um, oh, so whether that's, uh, whether that's a positive or negative thing, um, I think it's a, yeah, many thoughts on that for me. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a, a bit of an evolution of, of the event. But for most of us, um, mere mortals, it's a four foot contact that's going to keep us safe. Um, and ultimately, I think that is where we need to look at it first is when we strike down, what does our foot prefer to do? So so you you see a lot of world-class sprinters and most sprinters in general, um, they get into a full foot stance at a certain point. Now, you could argue that if you're coming down into contact and then you start in a four foot position and, and then the heel drops to full foot contact and then it peels off. Like I look at that and say, at what detriment is that happening? Could we strike maybe just a little bit further behind that so that we don't have this sudden drop of the hill? Because the potential for Achilles issues could be there. If you've done it the whole of your life, I'm not here to mess around with it. And I think that's where also a lot of people will try to, yeah, they just try to mess with those variables too much. Um, so I'll definitely use that when it comes to plyometrics. Sprinting is a bit different because you're not trying to displace as far because there is the equation of stride frequency as well as stride length and contact time. So you have to keep all of them relatively happy together. But obviously plyometrics is we're trying to maximize displacement. So if you're landing too far up on your forefoot and you're telling me that you're getting shin splints, and then I watch a video of you, lands on your forefoot, your heel slams, and then you're trying to get off of it. Yeah, it's probably because of what you're doing to anterior part of your lower leg because of this lack of control. And I also see it with the idea of learning how to control the, the forefoot when someone heel strikes. So I also get people that come to me with shin splints when they're heel strikers because they plant their heel down and the forefoot slams forward, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and and we have these misconceptions as well that we can we can strengthen that um that anterior part of the lower leg just from basic body weight stuff. And I would argue it's a far larger, more complex argument to that, um, just in terms of position of where you're landing on the foot the velocity in which that happens and the force that then transcends up the up the leg. So I will tend to just keep it very simple. And I tend to try to keep people in a in a in a small window of aiming to land just behind the ball of their foot. And that's the connect of of the three arches that run across the foot, your longitudinal, your um where your plantar flat the direction of your plantar fascia. Um, and really just getting in the the main body of that kind of triangle that you've got of the foot. So you're looking at a kind of lateral um, fifth metatarsal, the ball of your foot and your heel. So up behind the, just behind the ball of your foot is where I get people to aim to land. I don't say you have to have your foot like this at a certain point. No, let's just yeah. try and aim for that. Let's be comfortable there. And what I see most of all as well is that people are able to get through the gate cycle in a smoother manner because that's not talked about either a very few people have said to me oh this guy needs to move on his forefoot well and they're able to then get through the gate cycle well or the opposite way around because they're landing too high up on the forefoot and they try to then keep the heel off the floor 
can they move through a good gate cycle? I don't know. Those are questions that I think should be there. I would assume I would assume not, right? Just based exactly. on like just based on gate model. Yeah. Gate, gate cycle modeling. If you can't yeah. if your heel never touches the ground, you're not even you're not you're you're just yeah, always so, a toe off, right? So So you're missing out on key components of max propulsion there. Yeah. So these are considerations that I think are really important to look at. And unfortunately I could argue that I've seen a lot of athletes move and I've not seen many land on their forefoot and take off well or land heavily on their hill and take off well. So, yeah. And I, and I put a post up about it a couple of days ago, but ultimately you've got to look at what you're trying to achieve with it. So like you said, if we're going for horizontal, um, more of a horizontal intent, where is the foot placed in terms of the center of mass? If you're moving forward more, the likelihood is that you're going to plant a little bit further ahead of your center of mass to get more of a pull through that to trajectory right. forward. So how does that look in terms of your your landing mechanics? Well, it's probably going to look a little bit different than if you were to be going more vertically on the spot because your feet are going to be landing right underneath you. So people can get away with landing a bit more on the forefoot when they move vertically because they don't have the horizontal force component. If you come in horizontally and put your toe down, your heel is just going to sack into the ground, Ugh. or you're just going to you're going to pivot through it so fast that you don't get the time to um, apply that max propulsive force. So, yeah, there are a lot of components, and I think people go straight to what does the foot like it look like in that given moment. They don't question. You know, there's a real toey initial contact when someone's bounding for distance. And I said, well, yeah, well, where is his foot relative to his center of mass? Um, and that's when you can look more at entrance and exit vectors. It, you know, when someone comes in, is there a, is there a really large vector to the entrance and exit? If so, that means that they're putting their foot right out in front of them and then trying to pivot over the top of that, which normally means it's not going to happen. They're going to lose joint position. The knee's going to buckle. The hip's going to drop. And then they're sat in the bottom of this bounding motion. Yeah. So arguably, most movements get them underneath you, stack the body well, and you're pretty safe, and you're probably doing well in terms of how effective you can get out of that movement. Yeah, I think that people will have strategies, and then when you probably, when you, I won't even say probably, but when you properly train plyometrics for a given duration, it probably will yeah. correct itself. Right. Like, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of these strategies that you're going to see from athletes from just simply playing their sport, but not necessarily actually training plyometrics. So mm. do you feel just that, again, they kind of will over time for the most part, I would assume, I'm sure some people need additional coaching, like you said, but would you say for the majority of people, just the exposure to plyometrics and the frequencies, durations and intensities that they are exposed to will more or less self-correct that issue? Like if, if, if they're, yeah. if they're relatively competent movers yeah. or have yeah. like a relatively competent coach. Well, the, the, the big thing that I kind of preach with, with the programs that I have is that the guys that do my programs are the ones that end up to be far more skilled in what they can do. So yeah. I could tell anyone on our program that's been in it six months plus, oh, okay, let's just, let, let's just figure this out a bit better. I want you to attack the floor in this way so that it stacks your body. And they find that really quickly. So you can, that's where 
the idea of constraints versus cues or whatever, there is there is a time and a place to use a cue. And arguably, when you have someone that's really well organized in terms of the skills that they can deliver, that's when a cue comes in and is really valuable. Yeah. Um, the constraint is using biometrics, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's your constraint to start with. Get yeah. someone to organize their bodies best because they understand that when I bound for distance, if I put my foot too far out in front of me, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Probably not. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Um, yeah. It, it is interesting though, how people are afraid to like kind of use their whole foot. It's, it's just I like, why. I don't know. I know. Why. Uh, but it's because, it's because we assumed that, you know, we could dance around on our, on, we're, we're like we're high or up something. On, yeah, <laughs> high up on the foot and this real fast action and motion to things. And I'm like, yeah, get on one leg. To show me how you can do it on one leg now. And it's just horrific. Yeah, that's that's your big thing, really. And is is for people like is to go from is to go to the hopping. Like the hopping is really going to be the test. Is, is what I've learned from your work. Is like, like a lot of people can probably kind of work around the the bilateral stuff, but it's like, once you actually get on one leg, that's really going to expose your, your, your actual ability and really tell you what you need to work on or yeah. like how much more exposure to things that you need is the hopping. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, perfect example seminar with over 30 coaches, I'd say 60% of them look great in the first few components of the bilateral stuff. I'm like, right, here's where we separate the boys from the men. <laughs> right. Honestly, you yeah. you bring in, you know, you bring in the like I'll stack it so we we have movements that that build in intensity. And I teach that um because I teach what's classes like a plyometric loading continuum. And we start bilaterally, start on two feet in a normal kind of stance, then we go to split, then we exchange, then we go into our single leg stuff. You know, 60% can do the bilateral stuff. You go to bounding, you probably drop maybe 20% off, not a massive drop off. So it goes to maybe 40% of people that can then bound as well. But hopping, you're going to cull 40% off the top of that. So you end up with like 15% of people that can hop relatively okay. Um, so, and and ultimately it comes down to the velocity in which you attack the ground. And, and that, Everyone can hide behind how much they want to project themselves into the air. You know, you can figure out yeah. a way to not pump yourself into the air so much that when you come down, you're not getting this massive force. But hopping is, I always say this, but you can't hide when you hop. In order for you to continue your momentum, you need to whip your leg continuously. So that's your version of falling from, let's say, 30, 40 inches um, is to just whip your leg faster. So... Yeah, as soon as you do that, it separates people. Really does. Yeah, I think um, I think the hopping too really exposes people to access front side, which is probably one of the biggest problems that I see almost just in anyone running. Is just like everyone's so backside that yeah. like the hopping, you have to be able to get that that leg up. And I think a lot of people, when you actually start to hop, like they can't actually get a decent thigh angle or like knee angle yeah. like you know you look at marcel jacobs when he runs his thigh angle is so great and he's such good front side 
like he's probably I would say like when I watch a sprinter run in terms of front side mechanics, he's so good. But I think like the hopping yeah. definitely exposes that too. Is like just how yeah. people can't get that leg up fast yeah. enough to get it back down. It's just kind of this like well, the, it kind of the, lags. Yeah, I think the I, th I think what what a lot of people get wrong in in analyzing why someone is so effective front side is based on it's not based on how well they can lift the foot in front of it but it's it's based on how well they can attack the leg down and the attack of the leg down gives you that reflexive pop of the other leg to yeah. to punch it into a similar position so you get that contralateral effect and that scissoring action so if i attack well with my right leg my left leg is going to punch up yeah. um and hopping is exactly that it's a downward action it's attack 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 and that leg then just reflexively pops back up into that similar position if you have the capacity to handle it. If not, then the wheels fall off and then you just drop that foot down to where you're comfortable to, to pick it up to. Yeah, that's again, it kind of goes back to that point of how well the, they'll sort of self-regulate in a way. Mm -hmm. um, your, your video that you did kind of going through the intensity of hopping where it was like kind of a you know smaller, lighter, and then it built up yeah. and then like... like and how seamlessly you were actually able to transition between the three or, you know, the, the different levels, just say three levels, yeah. like light, medium and, and high. Whereas yeah. a lot of people like can only kind of stay in the light once, once they get to the medium, it starts to fall apart. So they kind of have to force back to the light. So I do like how they, I just like how they reg like, I think yeah. I, I'm just great. I like the regulation of them and how it's almost automatic. Like really yeah. it's almost automatic. Um, the ones that then the, the only other thing that I've seen on the hopping is people that are like, it's almost like the floor is lava. And so they're like, it's kind of you and, 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 uh, and Angus kind of, or, or like they're dipping their toes in the pool where it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. they kind of just like dip for a second, they're just on their toes. And it's like this very, it's like a very just yeah. interesting way that it's like people are trying to avoid the floor. And so they're yeah. like, yeah, they're not aggressive and just like attacking it, which that's, yeah. if it's just the rhythms just bad or it, it then it's that it's kind of like they just kind of like oop, touch the floor with their toes and they just get it back up off the floor it's hard they're they're aiming upward more than downward i guess yeah, yeah they're, like, they're they're picking the foot up rather than able to kind of let go and allow themselves to attack the floor that yeah. that's normally the way that it goes about it yeah yeah the hopping is was a big exposure especially for me coming off of you know i broke my leg in um mm. in when was that had to be like March or April playing rugby. And um, that was actually the reason that I, I got into your stuff was because, um, you know, I was for the most part able to train around it, you know, like, um, yeah. and kind of regulate that. But I knew going back into the season, I was like, I need to be ready to actually like, I need a rehab the plyometric aspect because i know that the this sort of subconscious hesitancy will be there if i were to just go okay my leg feels better i'm just going to go back out on the field mm. there's probably all sorts of weird mechanics and compensations that even though the leg's better it's just you got to think like four months of more or less trying to avoid that leg as much as possible um but you're right like the and, and you know you're right, but like the the bilateral stuff, you're able to hide it a little bit. Even on the split stance stuff, you're able to hide it a little bit. The alternating stuff definitely starts to pick up. But the second you start hopping, it was a big difference. Like my right leg, I was like, it's just in, in terms of hesitancy. My right leg, it was very much not that I'm good at it, 
but it was certainly better than my yeah. my left side, which was like incredibly hesitant to attack the ground because it's just like you have this trauma to that area. Yeah. And so of course, like your brain's gonna be like, it's thinking like, oh, I need to avoid, I need to avoid. And so oh I that was the whole reason that I really set out your work aside of just generally as a of a coach, like plyometrics and conditioning are probably my biggest weaknesses in terms of like my my breadth of knowledge. So yeah. there were many reasons, but for myself, my own selfish reasons, I was like, I need to be prepared to go back out and play rugby. And I just knew through your work that that was going to really expose what I needed to work on and, and things like that. So it's really been helpful for me to return to sport and, um, and have the confidence because I would, I will say that that's, that's probably the number one thing I think that people lack, not even really knowing like people, of course, like when they injure something, it's, you always become a little less confident, but even when you heal and get better, there is still sort of this like hesitancy there that's this subconscious that made people may not even recognize. Um, yeah. Cause even when I yeah. went out and first, my first game back, I could tell my first game, I was just hesitant period. I was just like, I don't really know, you know, like what's going to happen here. Like yeah, it feels yeah. better, but I haven't done this in four months. So the plyos definitely helped me just regain that confidence on the foot, even though they're not perfect. Um, and there's mm. definitely work to do. I think the confidence aspect was was big for me yeah, in terms huge. of like rehabbing an injury and coming back to sport, you know. In, um, inhibition inhibition from trauma is is ultimately yeah. I think is one of the biggest components that come with an injury. Yeah. Um because inhibition as well can also lead to further injury. Yeah. Because, you know, and it, and it can be offloaded into, you know, you had a, a bone break, but that inhibition can lead to a soft tissue injury because yeah. you're you're using a different strategy to do that. And we see that all the time, don't we? We see someone that has come back from an ACL injury is now getting, you know, Achilles problems because of the way that they're landing now. So it's, yeah, yeah it's breaking down that inhibition and, and building back the confidence to to slam that leg back into the ground because yeah. ultimately that's that's where you want to get it to you want to, to you know let loose and and be able to deliver force at high velocity yeah yeah and for me that was my thought process was like i knew there there was potential for there to be a cascading effect which i which i don't want and i know like and just being in sports my whole life and especially around my own rugby team like rugby is a pretty violent sport but like ironically the guys that get injured always kind of stay injured like it's very rare for guys to actually really come back from an injury and like be a hundred percent. And I'm not even trying to be a hundred percent. I'm trying to be better than I was going in. Right. So, whereas I think you just see a lot of guys, they don't really just rehab properly. And I feel like even in a rehab setting, biometrics are probably the most underutilized tool for athletes returning to sport. Everyone does the, the fucking clamshells, and the stretching and the okay get back to strength training yeah. but even i i just think that it's it's probably gonna it's probably your best tool really is to that's yeah. the bridge right like that's the yeah. true bridge is is can you display these qualities and plyometrics very well and then you're gonna like you know kind of before we officially started the podcast i was sort of telling you about you know, the soccer teams that I was contracted to do, the girls team had like five ACL tears. And I mean, not only was the light tier stuff not that good, but even the deep tier stuff, it was like watching like baby deer 
like kind of just jump around and bounce and there was just no real rhythm there was no coordination there was no body control and sure they're like they're i'm sure they're pretty good at soccer right they're good at their footwork and kicking or whatever but even the thing i think too is in all sports especially like soccer or football or whatever you want to call it you're going to have a biased side and so the plyometrics still allow you to sort of work on the side that you're not going to be as competent on simply because like if i play soccer and i'm right handed like i'm going to use my right leg 95% of the time like i might transition my other le my left leg and sort the better players probably are better at getting to their other side when they need to because like that variability is ultimately what's going to probably make them elite right but it's still mm -hmm. probably nowhere not going to be anywhere as good as that other side and so i feel like the plyometrics for me and just what i've witnessed and their utility that's also just another big like because you'll see that like you could kind of tell going through them how many of you are right-handed and they all put their hands up and they're good on their right side but when you put them on their left it's like oh my god you know what i mean like, yes yeah, it's, yeah. it's just not good um real standout and not to be like that's why you have acl tears but it is somewhat of a clue right like if there's just no lower limb control whatsoever from the hip down it's like you know it, it it will certainly probably decrease your chances you know what i mean yeah not, maybe not guarantee like but it will it should certainly decrease and i would confidently say that based on what i saw i was like oh my gosh like this is and of course like the coach wants them to squat and wants them to do this and wants you know and like i'm all about that obviously i love those things but the plyometrics were a game changer for me as a coach and like and 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 really connecting the dots between just not only just the weight room in, in, in the field, but just the difference in like, take the skill of the sport aspect out of it, just their ability to run, jump, hop, even like sprinting got cleaned up a lot for a lot of the girls over the summer, you know, like the, so, some more of those general qualities that you could sort of see, um, just, it just really brought up the bar a lot. And so it was, it's, it, it really is interesting as using them because they're almost like an assessment tool as well. Just watching how people, can, oh, yeah. you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, they're, so. they're one of, well, they are my assessment tool. Yeah. It's very, very quick to, to tell you a lot of information in terms of how, you know, obviously some people are very good at, at solving problems, um, even when they do have a problem, um, but they're, there's still very few opportunities to hide, especially with someone that yeah. is that's relatively new to it or young or whatever. So yeah, it's awesome for that. Yeah. I mean, even in like the light tier stuff in your, in your work, um, people typically are, pr are pretty decent going forward. Yeah. The second you have them like go side to side or you have them go backwards or you just right. have them change, just do whatever. If you just pick random directions, like some people like do it in a circle, do it in a square, do it in like a triangle, yeah. do it, you know, you pick shapes to kind of for them to make. It was like it was almost like they just went brain dead like it's like yeah. i had one it was um i remember the one day i was doing it with them and they uh it was i think we were just having um i would think we're just like split exchange kind of light tier but instead of it being that they kind of turned it into like skipping or something right it was like yeah. they it almost just didn't exist in their repertoire of movement at all it yeah. was like their brain was trying to figure out like what is this thing that i'm you know what i mean it was it's just really interesting I, I just really was fascinated through the process of like not only going through it myself but but you know using your resources and your direction as a coach to really like it was very eye-opening i will say it's yeah. just really really eye-opening yeah it's uh you you learn how quickly 
um well you learn quickly how quite a lot of athletes really don't know how to move um and they really don't know and understand the rhythm of things or you learn why the good players in that team are the good players from doing basic movement like that yeah that or that yeah that that'll be pretty stand out in that sense yeah like the more elite players will typically always display a higher level of competency when it comes to 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 that stuff for sure Yeah. yeah it's it was uh I don't know. It's just really, really good stuff. It's really good stuff. Um, I think the other thing that you've done pretty well is the programming aspect, which I know, you know, when we kind of started, you're, you're expanding that out even more, but I think that's like one of the things that freezes coaches up again, because again, for strength training, we have like pretty decent models, which, you know, even those models have been kind of thrown, uh, or, or I don't want to say thrown out the window, but maybe been shown not to be as important as we thought, right? Like traditionally, we always thought like, okay, one to, you know, four to five reps is strength, five to eight is, is uh, or five to 10 is like hypertrophy and 10 to plus is, you know, endurance. And even that whole model has kind of been thrown out when now we kind of can see like, it's a little bit more, uh, obscure than that it's not so like you can still build muscle and lower and anyways that's like a whole conversation so i think it's hard for strength coaches to go okay plyometrics great how do i program it because that's like ultimately at the end of the day even as a coach who just trains even just general pop people want to understand the programming aspect of it even when it doesn't even really matter to like it doesn't really do anything for them outside of just knowing but like people are so obsessed with like how things are programmed and why are they programmed that way? There must be some like, like big secret reason as to why we're doing certain things a certain way. And I, I will say like, that was my barrier for plyometrics and still sort of is, is, is like, how do you, like, I, like, how do you program it? Especially like from an, like an integration standpoint, which I know it's something that you're going more into because mm-hmm. again, like with, with sort of uh, this general training model, or, or, or um, you know, you know, Angus calls his like general preparation, or, or just like these training models, like a more integrated training model where we're we're training a lot of qualities or concurrent or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think it starts. It, it it sort of gives coaches anxiety thinking about okay, how do I how do I like get enough stimulus of these things where it makes a difference. But like, I don't, I'm not doing too much stimulus and how do I do all the other things that I need to do? Right. Because that's like already with strength training sometimes with athletes, it's like, well, I practice, you know, four days a week and and it's like, where do I even fit in the strength training or what? And so it's like, when now that you're adding strength training and now that I'm doing conditioning and now that I'm doing plyometric, it's like, where do I, and it's, it becomes very overwhelming to people. Right. So, um, when it's pr- when it is pretty straightforward like oh you have a couple days off like most like general pop people like they're going to have rest days or whatever so um you know either you you separate it into its own set like some some athletes can train twice a day because they're actually athletes and they have the time so maybe they do a plyo session in the morning and then they lift in the evening which i think like track athletes are very used to running track and then they'll kind of go lift afterwards or yeah. they'll lift as a second session but i think and still in other sports, it's still hard for them to, to grasp. Like, even for me, I'll train the day that I have a practice 
and I might train yeah. lower body. And my guys are like, how the hell do you squat this morning? Like you have to come out and run for two hours. And it's like, you just, yeah, yeah. you just do it and you just get, you know, yeah. like, obviously like there, if when you introduce a new stimulus, there's going to be some fatigue that you're like unaccounted fatigue that you've never really had to manage before, but you'll get used to it. And it's like, then eventually you're going to get to this level. Like your baseline might drop a little bit from fatigue, but once you would actually adapt to that, stimulus or that work capacity like it, it kind of evens itself out so it's like i don't even really think about it anymore whereas like obviously if 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 you're not used to like training during season and all of a sudden you start training a couple of days a week there's going to be some fatigue that you're not used to but you'll get used to it but i think that's really the how do you sort of address that with a lot of the coaches and stuff that you work with from a programming aspect because i that probably has to be like i can imagine having seminars here at the space and i'm and i'm for sure would love to have you here to do one I know that's like, no matter who comes or what they talk <laughs> yeah. about, that's like the one point that all the coaches want to get to is like, okay, great. This is all good. But like, how do we program? Right. Yeah. So yeah. what is yeah. in a, you know, in the simplest way that you can kind of do it, what is your sort of approach to integrating plyometrics within the, the umbrella of like strength and conditioning? Well, I think the, I spend the, the first few hours of a seminar convincing people that plyometrics are and should be of highest priority over every other component. The same with speed work, you know, and the same, uh, obviously above that would be your sport. But I think that's how you, you've got to look at it. You can't, you're, a, although the, the name above your head is a strength and conditioning coach, ultimately you are physically preparing someone to be better at what they're doing, or if you're right. a PT, you know, whatever it might be. But movement, dealing with overload at speed, is of highest degree yeah. so it's that that convincing part is the first first element to it and then saying these are the plyometrics that i'm going to do and this is how i fit strength into that so i will always attack it in saying that like what components will match quite well so if you are you know you might be an snc coach that also works around the sport that you're that you're working with so let's say that you're part of a basketball team you might do some s and c bits before in in a session whatever it might look whilst they're playing basketball um so so finding opportunities in things like warm-ups is massive for the light tier equally the same for the deep tier being a metabolic component for sure and you and it's what starts to happen is you start to see that there are far many, or far many more opportunities than you would initially assume. So, um, so if you're not doing light tier plyos or extensive forms of like rudimentary landings in a warm up, I think you're missing huge opportunities every single session. Um, so, even if you're coming into lift weights, yeah, why not get ready with some light or some deep tier movements? Yeah. It's just there, there's so much bang for your buck with that stuff for keeping you further away from injuries that that's got to be this first way of looking at it like joint health tissue preparation do some of that in warm-up elements preparation elements um getting ready for another session or for a session um and then in terms of how you look at bringing in the more intense parts to the to the programming it, again, you can you can find a space in the in the session that you're working. Whether it's let's say it's a highly neurally demanding day, you are doing like very heavy lifts, but for very small reps, or you're doing some speed work. Whatever you might be doing, bringing in takeoffs for height, 
hops for distance, whatever it might be. And that being before almost everything. So you prepare for it, you do a few of those movements and it can be, it can be based on how that session looks. So are you going to push that neural demand? Are you going to dose it very small? And that's the same way that it goes with the, with the landings and takeoffs understand the demographic that you're working with. So if you're working with a seasoned veteran that has done plyometrics for a decade, their capacity to do more is obviously going to be a, be a lot higher. If there's a new novel stimulus, it's going to be really low if you're working at a high intensity. So that's also what pisses people off. How many landings should I do? And I say, well, it's when someone- probably a number one question, yeah. When someone walks into <laughs> the gym, how many squats do you give them? And they're like, um, well, you know, you've, you've figure it out, right? You do a couple of that and then you might increase the weight, see how that goes and then understand what training element we're or what method or attack we're going with. Is it strength? Is it hypertrophy? Is it whatever? Okay. That's a rough model of what we want to get. If it's hypertrophy, you're probably going to want to stress them. If it's really highly neurally demanding work, you're going to work to, and especially with plyometrics, you're going to work up into a point where you're not getting to a level of diminishing return. So you're not making the movement look worse. Are they spending more time on the ground? Is there less displacement? Are you testing it on a mat or something? I don't, whatever. If results start to decrease exponentially, stop. Stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Rest, move on to another movement, finish the session, change the stimulus. Um, so it's it really is so simple and people, I, I don't think that they can see to that extent. So that's coaching. You understand what you've come to this session to achieve. Sometimes you can achieve it. Sometimes you can't, whatever, but ultimately you have a plan and that plan is to stress the body in a certain way, whether it's to stress it a lot, whether it's not to stress it too much, you have to figure it in that kind of stance. And that's also why when coaches ask me about this stuff, I say, Go and program for yourself. Go do three months of this stuff. Figure out what it feels like to do five sets of 30 meters of bounding intensively. If you feel terrible coming off the back of it, you start to get an idea as to sort of sorts of volumes that your your guys are going to be able to deal with. Because if you've never done it, you're never going to have a clue. Yeah. You're really not going to have an idea as to how this stuff actually feels. So when you give someone a stimulus of lower leg work. And then you try to ramp it up into more intense stuff, realize that the lower legs are going to be steeped in fatigue and yeah. your ability to get off the floor is going to be really damaged. So it's a long answer. I apologize. But yeah, the it's <laughs> I, talk, I, I said this on a, one of my podcasts the other day. I said, like, logic science is your best get. Like, think logically. Come on. Like, you know, you don't have to be Einstein to figure this stuff out. Yeah. You know, what does a little bit of stress look like? Quality of movement is literally the top of the pyramid for plyometrics. Yeah. So as soon I as like, that starts I like that change. as a, I like that as a principle, like kind of a guiding principle. First is like just how does it look? Does it look the way you want it to look? And mm. then if does it, if that starts to diminish, then it's we're done, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are going to be certain instances where you push the you push that threshold maybe five percent over that over that point of where you start to really see fatigue, but very small instances. Obviously, realize that deeper yielded stuff, you're going to be able to do more of that. You're yeah. going to be able to push that significantly because it, there's more of a metabolic component to it. But when it's highly neuromuscular and you're relying on 
so many parts of the body to work in a reflexive way. As soon as that starts to to fatigue, you're not going to get the pop out of that movement. And then you're going to be training things that you don't want to train. And then you expose the tissue to being under fatigue, spending too long in these movements, which ultimately is not where the tissue's happy. Yeah. It, that's normally when tendon, tendinopathies can can creep in if you do too much. Yeah. I think that the hardest thing too is just the sensation of fatigue is a little bit different in plyometrics than it is like with yeah. with strength training. Like I know that was sort of yeah. the, one of the harder things for me to adjust to is like when you finish yeah. a when you finish a heavy like <laughs> resistance training, weightlifting sort of workout, there's a specific like uh mm localized fatigue that you obviously yeah. feel within specific muscle groups that you've trained. Whereas yeah. <clears throat> I remember when the first eye opening for me was I did one of the, one of the return to sport plyometric sessions, which to me didn't seem like, um, it's not massively, it's, it's not, not big as it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because again, we have yeah. this terrible relationship with training. Whereas like, we feel like we have to be like, like gasping for air crawling out of the gym right? Yeah. If we didn't, if yeah. we're not doing that, we didn't get a good enough stimulus. But so like, I felt pretty good after it. Like I felt like, Oh, okay. That was good. I'm going to do my deadlift session later. Right. Like I'm going to go get yeah. some lunch, take about an hour to let my food digest and do a deadlift session. And I think my strength in that session was like 20% less than what I had anticipated it to be. Yeah. But it was just yeah. like this fatigue that I've never really flat right it's just yeah, a flattening it's, it's just you flat just... <laughs> there's just like nothing it's just like nope there's nothing there whereas yeah. more of like metabolic fatigue it's like you can kind of just keep pushing through it and it's like where it's like a, maybe a burning sensation or whatever but like the the fatigue from plyometrics is a very yeah it's flat like it's just like nope that's it that's that's all there is yeah. and yeah. of course i could have probably kept doing like more but it, it's just it was a very interesting sort of like buffer and then like just I was obviously I had expected it to be a little bit of a decrease, but yeah. like when I was like, I was planning on hitting like four forty five deadlift for reps, and I think I did like three sixty five, and I was like, what in the hell just happened? You know what I mean? So yeah. it was just like yeah. a funny. It was just one of those funny moments that I had where I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was just it was just really fascinating, kind of like having that moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, just. It just understanding yeah. what that fatigue feels like because yeah. i mean the athletes that i work with that are that are in like highly highly dynamic sports like track and field or whatever bobslayers um they really get that you're yeah. like right now give me something with intent and they're like there's no way there's no there's intent just, that's that's is, a good description there's yeah. no way yeah because i feel like weight training you can kind of be sore you can mm. kind of be whatever and you can yeah. still come in and you warm up a little bit and you can kind of get yourself up there to where you need yeah. to be. Whereas yeah. I feel with the plyometric stuff, it was just like, no chance. You're done, dude. Like the yeah. intention, just like you said, the intent, like, and the ability to drive that intent is just like, nope, not yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It was a really interesting. I, well, and you know what, what comes in a full circle, this conversation is the conscious mind comes in. You have to start trying to deliver high force. Yeah. Whereas before you were just popping off the floor and it was just happening as part of a reflex. And now you've got to try. So all these other components now come in and you're, you, it becomes more muscular. You spend more time on the ground. Yeah. Far more is involved then. So 
you change strategies of how you do things. And again, it's a skill component. Do you want to keep doing that so that you start to carry that skill through and, and make it part of your movement um, makeup? So yeah, I think you always do really well with plyos doing a little bit less than you think you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was sort of my experience as well. So I know, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, you were like, keep doing it, you know, eight yeah. weeks, 12 weeks, we'll see that yeah. kind of thing. Right. And it's yeah. like, but it's also good to just have that permission. Right. Because yeah. I think people can yeah. be too analytical and a little too hypercritical of things oh, where yeah. it's like, yeah. And then you just yeah. drive yourself into this like depressed sort of like, I suck or I'm bad at it. Or and yeah. then it's like, yeah. It's like, dude, just show up, do it. And like, you'll just get better as you do it, which was like, yeah. it's like nice to have that permission from somebody yeah. sometimes where it's just like, and I mean, like people, people question the, the, like the plus plus programs, like, oh, there's so much variety. You don't, you know, there's very little times where it's like three sets of this and ultimately a lot of, you know, almost 90% of the programs we have there is, is very much geared towards new movers and athletes and stuff. You know, guys that have been doing it two or three years in my programs, that they're not doing that kind of stuff. It's far more, you know, they'll get a few more sets of things, but variety is the big part of of the program where it's like, oh, you're going to do forward leaps, but then you're going to do them in a slalom action. And then you're going to do them two forward, one back. And there's just yeah. this, I just build this enormous base of variety in a, in a session. But I get so many questions like, so I just do one set, then I walk back and then I do another movement and then I walk back and then I take a couple minutes rest. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And people, it's hard to sell that. It's really hard to say like, you put 15 pounds on your back squat in a week. Like it's just not that. Yeah. But, well, it's funny. I mean, it's, I find it interesting that people see it like that because yeah. while there's obviously a lot of variety, the way it's categorized, it's still very simple. Yeah. It's right? still so very it's simple. Like, it's yeah. leaps, hops, bounce, you know, it's, it's like very, yeah. so it's like, they might see four different variation of like light tier leaps, but, but leap I, is a leap, I right? see it as a leap, right? So, yeah. oh, you're hitting your leaps exactly. and you're hitting your bound and you're hitting your hot or whatever. You get right? it. Yeah. So, it, well, it's the same because it's like, it's so funny because like, like I used to get into this programming thing where I was very specific about the variations. And mm. now I've kind of taken this thing of like, okay, today we're just going to do squat variation here's your sets and reps. And yeah, it's like, that. what does that mean? And it's like, well, you can front squat, you can back squat, you can zercher squat, you can split squat, you can box squat, you can just squat, right? Like, yeah. and so I don't even really care what kind of squat you do. Just pick a squat you want to do and do it. Right? It's exposure to the skill, right? And, and, yeah, and that load. Yeah. Like, cause a squat, yeah, there's different variations, but a squat is a squat, right? Like the silhouette of the thing is like, it is this thing. We all know what a squat is. So like yeah, whether you yeah. do it on one leg in a split stance with two legs, with a barbell, with a safety bar, it doesn't matter. And so like when I saw your, the way you structured your, I could see where people have a programming issue in strength training where they would see that and go, oh my God, the variety. But it's like, it's, yeah. it's not really that complicated. Like you have a pretty linear progression of how you, not only would you probably just skill wise, but even in a session, how you would go from, you're going to start with like bilateral leaping. You're probably going to go into some split stance. Then you're going to do like alternating yep. or switching. Then you're going to go into bounding. Then you're going to go into some, like it's, it's pretty straightforward. So yeah. I thought it was like, yeah. I guess I could see where people get hung up on like, there's so many variations. How do I well, know what variation yeah. to do? What one do I like, use? And you're like, when yeah. do I use this variation over this variation? Yeah. I totally could see yeah. where, but yeah, I think it's just, that's just a, 
I think that's just a strength and conditioning or just like training problem period is people is just, they, they, it's like, they just miss the forest from the trees. Right. And they think that there's like, there's gotta be this magical reason for why we do everything all the time. And there has to be a very specific, and it's like, in a way, the generalization of it is the, is the, is the specific idea behind it. Right. It's like, you want yeah. just exp- and it's like, that's the thing I kind of realized with the soccer team is like, even just with bilateral leaps, okay, growing forward, they were, they were fine, but even just going backward was horrendous side to side. was So it's like, yeah, you know what, why would I do five sets of just 20 or five by 10 meters of the forward? Yeah. Knowing that like, they're probably going to, but so yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, I obviously have the ability to kind of see, oh, this is what his, this is the, his think I could see your thinking behind yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That's and that's that's a big in- industry issue, right? Is it's like making sure that the body's becoming more dynamic or it's all about the physical component. So it's like let's just do leaps on the spot or pogo leaps on the spot and you'll just be- all of a sudden become more elastic or dynamic or whatever phrase is bastardized and used incorrectly. Yeah. And it's like have you seen them move forward? Now watch them do it sideways. And yeah. oh forget it moving backwards and you're like why would you not work on that you've got yeah. five sets so you just do them in five different directions yeah exactly so instead of doing you could literally do five by 20 meter leaps yeah. and then it's like cool you could sure i guess you could use one variation but you could just use five different variations for all those sets you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's like people who yeah oh they're gonna come in and then they're gonna do three sets of back squat and then they're gonna do it's it's like it's it's you know, then three sets of front squat and then they're going to do three sets of split squat. It's like you could do eight sets of just back squat or you could just do three sets of each and just have a few different variations. Like, like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, um, how seasoned are you, you know, like, like if, if you're more advanced or more elite, yeah, maybe you, if you're a powerlifter, maybe you just need to do eight sets of, of back squat. Whereas like someone who's totally new, to lifting they might need to just do all different kind of variations so i i saw it the same way i thought it was yeah i think people just have a hard time zooming out man they do they do (laughs) it's not that it's like it's it's just not that those those tiny yeah it's not that exactly (laughs) exactly just like yeah um which again it's i don't know if it's just human nature there has to be always some like existential reason and purpose yeah. behind things sometimes like things, why we're here <laughs> things just can't just be sometimes you know what i mean it's yeah. like people just go too deep into it it's like it's mm-hmm. not that serious man just like yeah. do it and, and see how it goes <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah no that's that's good yeah i mean i is i did your i bought your courses and i did the return i'm doing the return to sport and i'm just going through it like honestly yeah. just going through it even regardless yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be like oh i could do more or i could be more advanced or like i'm trying to just, i'm just going through it and then when i got it i was like man this stuff is just so good and then you know obviously i bought your coaching course which if for anyone listening like i i really recommend highly i could not recommend more than picking up both like your your membership and having some sort of structure to, even as a coach like I yeah. tell, like people assume that like, yeah, I kind of just, I'm at this point in my career where I just kind of show up to the gym now. And I just like, I have a sort of blueprint or structure in my head and I kind of just show up like today I'm a squat day. I'm going to pick a variation and blah. Today's a deadlift day. Like, 
And then, you know, I throw in some random accessory, almost all of my accessory at this point, especially for like lower body is um, probably some of the deep, deeper stuff. I really have been awesome. enjoying that stuff a lot. Um, yeah. And Svea, which I don't know if you've talked about, he's kind of like been my guinea pig with the plyometrics all summer. Yeah. He, he's loving it. I mean, he's, he's a different athlete than when he showed up here and the plyometric, like he's gotten stronger. Yeah. But he's just, he's, it, it's funny. I don't know if he's sent you some of his videos from like his first ones. Like no, he hasn't. I've, very, I've seen the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, you should see some of the first couple of weeks. And it was like, everything was very stiff. And then when we dug into your content a little more, we were able to just kind of like, it just kind of answered some questions. And then it just got, I mean, it, oh my God, the transition over the past 12 weeks for him has been night and day and he's really loving your stuff. So um, yeah, yeah. It's, awesome. it's just great stuff. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised by a lot of footballers that have been, been using the program. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of high school guys have been using it and yeah, like you said, it's just, there are so many things that get mopped up. There are so many, just deficiencies in the way that they move they really struggle to decelerate especially bigger guys like the deep tier stuff for big guys is where it's at yeah like the for basketball players if i've got bigs if i've got forwards or centers go do some deep tier stuff yeah. go live in some max propulsion i can guarantee you everything else will start to feel better feel better <laughs> just feel better oh. yeah yeah that's that's also for me just like from a rehab slash mobility standpoint, I always tend to find that the more relative motion that you add to people in certain areas that they're generally like, if you really look at an area that's having trouble, the, their lack of relative motion in those areas is generally a lot of times is what you're going to see. Yeah. Um, and I just, from even just from a mobility standpoint, like interestingly enough, even though you're training this quality of like springiness and, and sort of tension, yeah. What I found is that it really helps people sort of just get the mobility through their foot and their ankle. It really gets those bones moving around. Um, yeah. So ironically, although most people would see plyometrics as like this, um, this thing where you're trying to get a lot of stiffness, I've actually found that from a mobility perspective and getting people to loosen up certain sides or whatever, it really helps, especially when you get into the single, the single side stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, I've also noticed if someone has a big shift into a right hip, they're probably much better. If I put it in plyometrics, they're going to do the yielding stuff on the right side, whereas their left side is going to be very overcoming. And, 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 and I'm sure like even you've probably experienced like asymmetries in plyometrics. Like, is that something, is that a topic that comes up a lot? Like, do people try to like, they notice some asymmetry from side to side and like, is that like a a point of contention where people are like, what should I do about that? Or, or. Yeah. I mean, I I always just say that if there's, if there's anything larger than uh, if it's getting too close to 10% of an asymmetry, then it's there, there could be other things going on. Could just be a very basic level of strength capacity. It could be, like you say, could be freedom of the foot. And like you say, right, we go back to that stiffness like idea in our heads when it comes to coaching plyometrics in that we want the ultimate stiffness. But we want stiffness in a in a certain length of time. Right. Like you still need to access portions of of the gate cycle. You still need bones to free up to actually move through a sufficient it can't be so stiff that you overcome the need to actually allow the shin to drop and travel forward yeah because 
that's where we see injuries arise. That's where we see Achilles issues crop up because yeah. your Achilles is fighting every time your shin moves forward. No wonder it's sore. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh yeah, it's just yeah. this is holding on, right? It's just it's literally holding just grabbing. on. Grabbing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> yeah, I find yeah, the asymmetry stuff, I I tend to keep it keeps keep it pretty simple. Everyone's going to be asymmetrical and that's just the preference of how we move. Um so so don't try to make it perfect. Normally larger symmetries crop up with rhythm. Yeah. If things aren't smooth and things don't move with flow, rhythm yeah. you can just see it and you're like, okay, let, let's just do a couple more tests. Yeah. Let's yield on one leg. Let's do some skater bounds. Can you yield on one side, allow the free leg to swing round? And then you go to the other side and it's like and you're like bouncing on that foot just to maintain some form of stability. That's, that's something I've seen a lot with the skater bounds is like one guys, they'll be able to yield into a hip pretty deep on one side and just like a nice yeah. fluid. And then when they go to the yeah. other side, they, they sort of do this like double skip or like yeah. this, uh, where it's like, instead of just kind of sitting into the hip, they kind of use an extra bounce to yield, to yield yeah. instead of like yeah. actually. Yeah. So there's, they're, they're taking the, they're taking the velocity out. Yeah. Yeah. They're killing the velocity and speed into that loading. That's why. Yeah, yeah it's just like wanna... it's just like, yeah, it's it's been really cool from that perspective, and it's really sort of changed my whole outlook on like rehabbing and like fit because yeah. you know again most people are oh your right hip let's clamshell let's do this where it's like the plyometrics have been a big one for me and 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 really connecting dots in terms of like oh, I experienced this in my knee or my hip when I squat and then you, they shift to one side. And then if they do plyometrics, it's like in the yielding leaps, then maybe they get into the right hip really well. But when they get over to the left side, they try to get out of it really quick. And so I yeah. start to see when that starts to shore up in the plyometrics, it starts to shore up in the sort of like heavy strength yeah. training too. It, it really, yeah. they really go very well. They're very cohesive and they're very complementary of one another. And like any problem that you're sort of seeing in the uh, in the barbell stuff, you're you're gonna see it in the plyometrics when you get from side to side, like almost. Guaranteed. I think I think if you can solve the issue at high speeds, it's really easy to solve at slow speeds. Yeah, and, that, and that's ultimately where you really win with that stuff. And actually, today, what I was filming, I'm filming a yielding series of movements. So there's like a let's say that you just there are some issues that you have underlying you, you're able to do the light medium and ping tier stuff but when you get to the deep you're just all over the show okay for that program maybe you're not quite ready for that deep tier i can't you know when you're writing generic programs you can't write for everyone's scenario yeah so i've i've put together like a yielding series that you could just add on and just and there's a couple of movements like three three four movements that you do in every session and that then gradually exposes you to a larger yield for you to get into deeper ranges and allow your body to get into those deeper ranges. So that will be a cool element to bring to it. So it's a, like a an eight week program or like a insert really into your program so you can you can get someone. So I'm hoping that that will be a big component of a return to sport place as well. So yeah, it's just you know, you could you could have 10 different issues but all of them could use that same yielding yeah. component so. Yeah. Yeah, I um I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know kind of the last thing maybe I wanted to talk about, especially because I handle a lot of uh, athletes that tend to be on the bigger side. Um, yeah. So are there any considerations for bigger, heavier athletes in terms of like training plyometrics than sort of the lighter guys? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm probably not one. 
I may be one of the bigger guys that you probably have on yeah. there. I'm certainly not the biggest, but like 240 mm. pounds is pretty 245. I weighed in this morning. So that's a pretty heavy, that's like a heavy guy compared to yeah, a guy yeah, yeah. who might be like 175, 185. Um, because just the amount of mass, you know, exponentially yeah. with the amount of force, it's, it's quite, it's, it's significantly more, right. Which is why yeah. like lighter guys always feel better in terms of like plyometric yeah. work and speed work and jumping. It's like, yeah, the heavier you are, the harder it is on your body. So do you have any specific considerations for some of the bigger guys that might be looking into plyometrics and, and just the fact that like a lot of big guys don't think plyometrics are for them. Like I'm a big guy. I don't, I, yeah. maybe I'm an offensive lineman or, or maybe I'm a, uh, maybe I'm in the front row of, of, of the scrum in rugby. Like, why do I need to yeah. apply metrics? You know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. maybe that's the last thing we can kind of touch on. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you're, if you're pushing mostly, if you push 220, then that's when I, I kind of will intervene in terms of where you might place considerations. Um, and it normally goes in the, like the higher effort work in terms of whether it's the medium and the more intense based stuff, I'll tend to drop off the volume of the amount that you can do in that when you get to like a full program. So it's, it tends to be for medium tier stuff. It tends to be maybe a drop of about 30%. The ping tier tends to be a drop of about 20%. And, and normally it's because you can do a lot of medium tier kind of bounding and stuff, but bigger guys just don't do well with it. They just do not do well with it. And because of it naturally tends to be that um, the bigger guys are coming in with a larger ISA, they're going to suit more um, bilateral work as opposed to unilateral stuff. So those are also considerations that you can make. So the drop of volume might actually just come from the drop of volume in unilateral work. Um, I'll still always keep it in, always keep it in. Don't take it away just because they are away. It's just be clever, being clever with that. Um, and you, and you know what? We, we go back to exactly what we've mentioned so many times. It's self-regulatory. You just look at these bigger guys and you see where fatigue creeps in heavily, and that's where you make those decisions. Um, but for for bigger in in terms of weight and bigger in and in terms of size and height, um, honestly, light and deep tier just do more of that stuff if you're not doing it do some very light rudimentary base movements and do a lot of deep yielding base movements and you will change the way that you move you yeah. really will and you'll graduate honestly you could do that for six to eight months and you would ch you would really change things um and then bringing in some medium and then some intent based stuff you know in year two or something crazy it, it sounds ridiculous but I've used strategies like that. So I've worked with 6'10s, 6'11s, 7-footers in, in basketball, and they're the same. They obviously weigh a lot, but obviously yeah. the 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 distribution of load in terms of torque because of how long they are. Long, such long then, levers, yeah. The the long levers do, you know, you, you watch someone drop into a split stance leap when in a deep tier and they're 6'11. It takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. <laughs> They understand the stress that comes with that as well because it's so long. Yeah. Um, so they might weigh two ten, but they are six eleven. So like they've got the weight and they've got the length and torque on that joint. Yeah. So yeah, it's just understanding those components. It's funny because we have a uh, 
we have a new left tackle on the team. He's like 15 years old. This kid is 15. He's yeah. like six, eight, 300 pounds. Right. And, uh, we were doing sprinting during training camp and like to watch this guy sprint compared to the other guys. Like he's not, he's actually pretty fast for like his size, mm. but it's, it's almost like when you watch him sprint, it's almost like watching somebody sprint in slow motion, but like in real time, yeah. because it's like yeah. the, the, the distance of the stride is so much longer and it just seems like it's just such like a lot longer of a uh of a turnover and stuff and he takes probably about half the steps that somebody else is but it's just like really funny to watch because it's like wow why he's fast like when you're actually looking at it you're like but he looks just really slow because it's just yeah and of course like compared to like a you know, running back or like a wide receiver he's obviously slow but like it's just really interesting it's, it's yeah. the same exact thing and like the deep tier stuff it's like the it just takes him so much longer to get down it's just like really it's actually kind of yeah. funny to watch to be honest yeah. with you <laughs> yeah, so, but and you, uh, you straight away go like how much more stressful is that yeah like yeah you know if everyone's working in their mind at let's say 70 percent of their you know max yeah 70 percent is going to be taxing it really is in comparison to you know me i weigh i don't even weigh 200 pound and it's yeah, it's going to be far easier. Yeah, and that's that's funny. Yeah, so for me, I know like integrating stuff into into like a program, and maybe maybe you can kind of correct me here. Maybe you say actually that's a really good structure. I've really found that like I I do like how you do separate days. I do find that really probably to be the easiest. Like if yeah. if you're training two or three days a week in the gym, and you have an, an extra couple of days a week, like because your sessions are also that was the other thing. They're only like maximally maybe half an hour. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like, like if we're being realistic, that should be doable for everybody. Right. Like, I don't yeah. care what your schedule looks like, like 30 minutes to get like some really high quality stimulus stuff in like that. You can't really ask much better than that, especially coming from a strength training world where everyone feels like their workout has to be an hour or more. Right. So, yeah. Um, but I've really found like using the, like you said, the light tier stuff in the warm up, And then if I have to integrate all their plyometrics into the session, I like doing like the light tier stuff. And then sort of doing like the medium or high tier stuff where I would put like speed work. Like if people yeah. were like looking at a weightlifting program yeah. and then doing their heavy lifting and then doing the deep tier as like sort of their metabolic work. And then, yeah. you know, that's kind of how I've, I've like structuring yeah. it. Oh, that's, that's so many people, so many people that I work with use that strategy. Yeah. That's, so that seems to be they, the best. Yeah. It really, really works well for people. Yeah. Depending yeah. on the sport. But ninety percent of things, it, it tends to go that way. Yeah, it just made sense. Like, I because I work with a lot of general. Like, I haven't even myself. I'm not comfortable with the ping tier stuff yet because it feels like something I'm not. Sure. I haven't really gotten into. So right now, I'm just experimenting with like the light and deep and medium stuff. And I found yeah. like for me to integrate that into a program without doing separate plyo days, it's mm. that seems to be like really the easiest like. Do some light tier warm up, you know, medium, high tier, do your strength block, do your metabolic work. And if we have time, you can just do some conditioning or something like that after or whatever. But yeah. that seems to yeah. be, I know some people probably will walk away from this and go, how do I program this? Even, even with the discussion, what would it look like? So if you're yeah. not going to do it yeah. on separate days, um, I'm, 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 I'm really looking forward to your, you know, your new stuff. We can kind of, you, you have the, you have the programs on your, website which is a monthly membership you yeah. have your coaching course which 
I'm yeah. like anyone listening to this, if you are unsure about plyometrics, which as strength conditioning, ironically, we, we typically be, we're good at strength work. We typically are not that good at everything else. Even if people think they're yeah. good at speed work or plyometric work, it's usually not. Um, definitely get it. But you said earlier also, and I know you've announced this on social media a little bit, you have an app coming out. So right now, like all your yeah. programs are two days, but you said yeah. you're making it to where it's like, yeah, you we'll can't have do the two splits. days, you're going to spread it out yeah. across splits and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that will so that yeah, those programs on the website will shift over to the app. Yeah, and there'll be a two day, three day, and four day option. There'll be uh, in season options as well. Um, so we've we've I've created like a couple scenario based things. So if you have a maintenance, I've called it a maintenance block. So if you've got back to back games over, let's say a five week period, then those are just little droplets that you can keep in there, keep stimulus high. Um, there'll also then be like a bi-week version. So if you, you know, you do a maintenance block and you're like, oh, that week we we don't have a fixture. Cool. Then we can drop that in, get a little yeah. stimulus, go back to the maintenance. Yeah. Um, and we and we've got like a couple of variations of that. So the maintenance block has a, a few variations to it. So you can cycle four weeks, then change it, then change it. So um, yeah, there'll be really there's just a lot more um options to just the the standard programs that we've got and we're just lengthening out those programs that we do have as well so we're bringing um like advanced plus programs and stuff like that i don't want there to be kind of like 12 years of plyometric programs it just needs to be a state where enough move through that and be enough um yeah and kind of recycle through it i found that's like it's even like strength training you know if you find a good program that works for you quit trying to think you need to change things all the time recycle it as if it's it's working man you know? And especially it's self-regulating, right? If yeah. I, let's say that I jump, you know, 12 inches into the air, but six months time, I use the same program and I'm jumping 30 inches into the air. Well, the landing stimulus is that much higher. It's much so higher. I continue, yeah. You should continue to stress your body. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, yeah. it really is a one-stop shop. I couldn't say better more. Like it's, it's honestly I, over the 12 years in this industry, People have tried to do plyometric stuff and, and whatever. And, and I have to say with credit to you and, and your wife, I guess you said that helps you with, yeah. this, with the program. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. guys really figured it out. I think you just really figured it out. It's comprehensive yet very simple. Um, yeah. It's a one-stop shop. If you're, no matter your coaching background or your sporting background, there's something there for you. Um, and it sounds like you're expanding on that a little bit more. So people have a little bit more options. And I think that, yeah. um, you know, I think you're going to find a sweet because there there can be too many options sometimes as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. you kind of you're I, with what you have and and the way you're expanding it out. I think it's going to be a sweet spot for like whether you're a coach and you're kind of trying to figure out what do I do with my athletes, and or yeah. if you're an athlete who maybe you train yourself or whatever, what do I do to how do I add this? What yeah. duration? What free? Like it's all there. It's it's like for a relatively like very, uh, you know, in my opinion, inexpensive price. Uh, for what you offer, I think it's freaking great. It's been an invaluable, incredibly valuable resource for me. Um, I appreciate it. It's totally changed. It's changed my outlook on a lot of things, and it's added to my skill set. Um, and I'm looking forward to just getting better at that. It's definitely, um, yeah, I'm excited. Definitely to see something it, I'm looking. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and even like I will say, the last kind of thing I have to say for it is the guy. These are things that you can throw in. Everyone go who plays sport. You do individual warm ups. Everyone shows yep. up. They got 15, yep. 20 minutes of individual warmups. This literally can be done then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. you, you really don't yeah. have to carve out a, 
extra time. Like I, it, no, I think no. the way you have it structured, it can seamlessly be integrated in so many different ways. So yeah, yeah I just want to say thanks. Thanks for, uh, no, thank thanks you for so giving it for out. You know, a lot of guys, yeah. like they kind of try to keep things and you've just, I, yeah, I can't, you know, just want to say thanks for sharing your, your knowledge because, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna change a lot a, a lot it's gonna it, and it is changing a lot for a lot of people so yeah i appreciate yeah. it a lot no i really appreciate your your support on that and that's all we're trying to achieve is just keep it simple it's not as yeah. complex as you think it is um and just do it <laughs> yeah yeah so you have so maybe you can just kind of tell people where where can yeah. people find you you know where they can yeah. where can they find your work and then i'll of course include all that stuff in the in the show notes and things like that but Awesome. Yeah. So you can come over to Instagram. So at McInnes Watson, M-C-I-N-N-E-S-W-A-T-S-O-N. That's that's my personal account. And then we our business is called Plus Plyos, which you can find us on Instagram. We can go to plusplyos.com and that will give you links to our programs. It'll give you a link to the, the coaching course and what's to come out. We have our app coming in September and then Q1 of next year, I'm launching a 12-week intensive course. So right. it's going to be delivering it to an, a finer detail and depth and really, really trying to provide the best that I can in terms of like, this is how to do everything with your pliers. Um, so yeah, really appreciate um, you having me on and yeah, come over, come over to me on Instagram, say hi um, and yeah, start bouncing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> Passion.